Well, good morning. Happy New Year. My name's Simon. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Jubilee. If you're visiting us, it's really good to have you with us. Um, we are working our way through the, the Gospel of Matthew. One of the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. We've been working through it for a long time and we are in the kind of final moments of, of uh, Jesus' life, his death. Uh, so we're in Matthew chapter 26, if you've got a Bible. And that's where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 26, to, uh, from verse 36 this morning. But just as a recap of the last few weeks looking at Matthew, we've looked at um, that moment of his final meal with his followers, what we might call the Last Supper. Um, and he's, he's had that with them. It, and this, this that we're looking at this morning is the same night as the Last Supper. It's the night before he's going to be crucified. Judas has already decided he's going to betray Jesus. Peter has said, do you know, I won't, I won't, I won't let you down, Jesus. I'll, I'll stay. Even if I have to die, I'll stay. And Jesus says, no, you will, you'll, betray, you'll, you'll let me down. And all the other disciples kind of go, yeah, we won't let you down either. Uh, and that, that's what's just happened. We won't disown you. That's where we are. So let's read this passage this morning, see what God wants to say to us today. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away once more and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Speaking um, on this passage, the uh, American church leader John Onwuchegwa says this. He says, um, he's reminded of uh, a famous quote by Mike Tyson, the, the boxer. Uh, Mike Tyson was asked how he would deal. How does he deal with opponents that are maybe more ta- tactical than him, maybe more skillful than him? And he replied this, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face. <laughs> and I think what he's trying to say is this, that boxers have game plans and they have tactics. But what he's saying is, The real test comes when you face opposition, when you're punched in the face, when you face difficulty. 
And do you know what? The same is true for life, isn't it? You know, when we face difficulty, when we face unexpected situations, when we face trials, how are we going to respond? So we've got Jesus. He's gone out to a garden, probably about half a mile outside of Jerusalem. And it it seems that he, he goes there often and he goes there to pray. It's called Gethsemane. It's the, the word means, it probably means olive grove. You know, we don't have too many of those in England, do we? But, you know, perhaps if you're from the Middle East, you know what an olive grove is. Um, it's called a, a, probably an olive grove and because its name means olive press. It's where they would press the olives. They would put them under extreme pressure, you know, and press out the juice or whatever it is you get in an olive Oil, of course. <laughs> I don't do the cooking in our house, as you can tell. They, they press out the oil. Under extreme pressure, something good is coming out. And Jesus is going to be under extreme pressure in this garden. How is he going to respond? And he's taken three disciples with him, three of his closest followers. He said, come with me. Yeah, maybe for friendship, maybe because he just wants his friends close by him at this time. But often when Jesus does that, when he takes a few of his close friends with him, it's because he wants them to learn something. He wants them to experience something. He wants them to see something. And, and it's recorded for us too in, in the Bible. So there's something that Jesus wants us to see here as well. There's something he has for us here Two, there's something that we need to learn about what it is to follow him, how to live for him, but also about him. And the first one is this, that Jesus prioritizes prayer. He does. And he wants his followers to be a people of prayer. You know, he's taught them, hasn't he, earlier in Matthew 6, if you can remember that far back when we looked at Matthew 6. He taught them how to pray. We might know it as the Lord's Prayer, we might call it. He taught them how to pray. Not a, a, a kind of just recite this in a, in a one go. No, no, as a framework, as a guide. This is how you can approach God, how you can talk with God, how you can encounter and speak with God, your Father. See, prayer isn't meant to be complicated. Prayer is not like some kind of skill that only the brightest of Christians will get. No, it's for all of us, all of us who have become children of God. See, he says, he says, how does Jesus start this prayer? He says, my father. Jews didn't call God father so much in prayers. But he says, my father. And that's how he teaches his disciples to pray, doesn't he? He says, pray, our father. You're coming to your father. This is what Nicky Gumbel of him of Alpha fame says. Prayer is the heart of Christianity. Because at the heart of Christianity is a relationship with God. That's why it's the most important activity of our lives. I love what Roxana and then Paul said. This morning, make it a lifestyle. Make it, you could exchange lifestyle as a relationship, couldn't you? Make it a relationship, a relationship lifestyle. That's what we're called into. Called into knowing him, this great Jesus, this one who is wonderful and loves us and who's for us. 
And out of that comes our worship and our praise and our adoration. And we get to know and live in relationship with this Jesus. Make it your lifestyle this year. And so we need, like Jesus, to build regular times and regular places where we can pray, where we can give our attention to him. We can give our attention to him. Listen, I'm going to borrow your phone for a minute, whoever's phone this is. Listen, you've probably got one of these. Yeah, and I tell our children and I, I tell other young people that the, the, the focus of these, the, the tech companies, the social media companies, what they really want is your attention. That's what they want. They want your attention. They don't say we want your money necessarily. That, in fact, that's probably not their first and foremost thing they're going after. They're going after your attention. Once they've got your attention, they can sell you stuff. Or they can market stuff to you. They're after your attention. That's what they really want. They want you to stick with their app, with their phone, with their thing. They want your attention. Listen, God's after your attention this morning. He's after my attention this morning. Not necessarily to want to sell me things. It's not for any, but it's because he loves me. It's because he loves you. It's because he's your father. He wants your attention for good. He's good. He's good. Whether you like the actions or not. Whether you do the actions or not, believe it. He is good. And he wants our attention this morning. That might mean putting time aside. It might mean putting the phone aside. Another part of the room. Switching it off. He wants your attention. Do you have regular times when you can encounter this God, your Father? That might look different in different stages of life. You know, when we had kids running around, it looked very different. But he's after our attention. He also wanted them to know that in difficult moments of life, we need to pray. We need to pray. See, maybe your first response in those difficult moments is, I'm going to put a plan together. Maybe your first response in difficult moments is, I'm going to go into worry mode. Or I'm going to hide myself. Jesus wants our first thought, our first priority to be, I'm going to get before my Father in heaven. And I'm going to pray. Jubilee, we need to learn how to prioritize prayer in the trials of life. Listen, you don't have any trials of life at the moment. Maybe you're thinking, I don't have any trials of life. Listen, you will. Jesus promised it. In this world, you will have troubles. You might think, well, I'll learn how to pray when I need to, when the trials come. Listen, a child, a child that only goes to their parents when they're in difficulty, what do we say? At worst, that's unhealthy. At the least, it needs some work doing on that relationship. Now we're to come to God in regular prayer, knowing him, knowing that, and, and then when the trials come, we know I can go to my father because I know he's for me. I can come to him in the trials. See, when, when trials come in our life, when difficulties come in our lives, prayer helps us to know that we, we can know comfort because he's with us. And I know you've said you'll never leave me. It brings release because it helps us to say, do you know what? I don't have to solve the problem. I'm not the, I'm not the answer to this problem that I'm facing. You are God. It brings focus. It says, I know you're working all things for good. And I might go through a difficult moment, but you are working all things for good. Okay, secondly, I think Jesus wants us to know in this passage and through this encounter the love of God. 
Well, how does that work then? Well, see, Jesus knows what's going to take place. He knows he's going to be handed over to death. It's not an unexpected situation. It's not a bolt out of the blue. He knows what's going to happen. He's known this moment. But he doesn't seem to be facing it with the bravery that we might expect. Look at the passage. He says he's sorrowful. He's troubled. He says, I'm overwhelmed to the point where I could die. And he falls to the ground. He's asking the Father, look, is there any other way? Is there any other way? See, it it doesn't seem like he's facing death as a hero. It doesn't. And Christians over the years have seemed to have faced death in a braver way. You know, in, think of the Reformation 500 years ago in this country. There were, you know, probably thousands of followers of Jesus put to death, burned at the stake. Here's just an example of two because it's recorded for us their, their final words. Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley burned at the stake in Oxford. And uh, it's recorded that Hugh Latimer said this, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as, as shall never be put out. That sounds a brave death, doesn't it? Sounds a very English death, doesn't it? I'm sure. But it sounds a very brave death. And history records, though, records the moments that it wants you to remember. We were told, history is recording this because it wants us to remember these men faced death as brave men. What is it that Jesus knows that is almost almost killing him in the garden, almost bringing him to a point of death in the garden. He's saying, is there any other way? Can this cup be taken away? The cup. The cup. It's a way of describing the judgment of God. Often in ancient times, people were given a cup to, um, to be killed, a cup of poison, and they would drink the cup of poison. That was their destiny. But here, the cup is the cup of God's judgment. It's, it's God saying, well, it's, it's God saying this. It's particularly God judging sin and anything against him. This is Isaiah 51. It says, you have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drained to its dregs the goblet that, made, that makes people stagger. Okay, we're going to go a bit deep here for a minute. But, you know, we were all made, we're all made to be image bearers of God. You and I, we're all made to be reflectors of God's glory, of who God is, his goodness. But the truth is that we've all chosen to reject that. We've all chosen to say, actually, no, God, I want to be the reflector of my glory. I want to bear my own image. I want to reject the relationship you want. Go after my own. The Bible calls that sin. And God in his righteous judgment says, well, you have it your way. You have it your way. If that's how you want it. In fact, that's a picture of hell. It's God saying, well, you have it your way. You want to be abandoned from me? You want to, you want to withdraw from relationship with me? Have it your way. That's what separation is. Separation from God. That's the cup of God's judgment. God's a, God abandoning you. See, Jesus' death is a death like no other. In God's plan on the cross, he is drinking the cup, the judgment for all mankind. 
the judgment we deserve, you and me. He's drinking. Jesus knew what he was facing. See, Jesus is God. He's also a man. He's truly God and he's truly man. He's not half of half. We haven't got time to get into all this right now. It'll take us off on a real uh, other sermon. He's not half and half. He's not God in disguise. He's truly man and truly God. And in his humanity, he is faced with the horror of this plan. He will experience the judgment, the abandonment of God the Father. The sinless one taking the sins of the world. Like we sang this morning, you took the nails, you took my place. And when we say this, it's really careful that we don't separate out God. So we kind of say, God the Father is a God of wrath and anger, and God the Son is a God of love. No, no, God is both. He's both, and we see it here in this passage. He has a settled will against sin, his wrath. Yet he loves you and me. And in the Son, he steps down and takes our place. He steps into our judgment, the punishment we deserved, and dies the death we should have died. He's drinking his own cup of judgment. Listen, as your brains kind of recover from some of that, Jesus saw the full horror of what the cross would mean, and he still went to it. That's love. That is love. This is how the message version puts it. This is the Apostle John. He says... This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done in our relationship with God. And then it goes on to say this. You know, if, that, if that's how God loves you, listen, love one another. That is, if that is how God loved you, if that is the amazing love with which God loved you and loves you, love one another. Care for one another. Look to the best for one another. Are you struggling to love someone at the moment? Look at Gethsemane. Look at the love of God for you. Okay. Finally, I think... It, uh, it brings power for the Christian life. Jesus wants them to see that it brings power for the Christian life. See, his prayers end in a very similar way, don't they, Jesus? He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he says, your will be done, Father. See, it's funny, isn't it? He, we see him at this moment in Gethsemane where he's in sorrow. He's in agony. But by the end of the passage, by the end of this maybe hour, maybe two, maybe three, who knows, of prayer, he leaves steadfast. He leaves like different. See, in the final moment, in, the, in these final moments that we're looking at over the next few weeks of Jesus' death on the cross, the gospel writers seem to pay more attention to the agony of Gethsemane than they do the agony of the cross. I mean, the cross will have been torturous, it would have been agony, it would have been horrifying, but the gospel writers don't seem to focus on that so much in terms of the agony that Jesus was facing. 
but they do for Gethsemane. Because in Gethsemane, a battle was won that enabled Jesus to face the cross. It was. This is what uh, Joe Capolo says in the African Bible commentary. Because of Christ's submission, the triumph of Calvary was accomplished in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll say that again. Because of Christ's submission, the triumph of Calvary was accomplished in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, there's something about choosing obedience. There's something about choosing God's way that gives us power for the Christian life. There is. There's something about saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to... Lord, I'm going to live for your plans. I'm going to choose to go with your purposes for my life. Not some kind of cold, heartless, um, joyless submission, obedience. Jesus wasn't actually. This is Hebrews 12 verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. For the joy set before him. What was that joy? What was that joy? It was the joy of obedience. It was the joy of doing the Father's will. But it was also you and I. It was the joy of bringing many sons and daughters to glory, into glory. The joy of you and I, of you. Because he desperately so wanted to know you and see you come into relationship with the Father. For that joy, he went to the cross. And as we see the love of God, as we see what he's done for us, we can live his way. We can live the way he calls us. Listen, what situations are challenging you right now? Where does God's will seem hard? Is it a difficult relationship? Is it work? Issues at work? Is it issues at school or college? Is it a temptation to do something that you just know, you know, I, I know that's not right and I know that's not God's best for me. Listen, for the joy set before him, he drank the cup. He went to the cross so that you could have friendship with God. So look, see the love of God for you. And that'll help you to walk in obedience, help you to walk in God's way. Because what he calls you to will be, always be better. It'll always be the best for you and me. Listen, we're going to end soon. And I think, I don't think we'll end with a song. I think we will, we will end in prayer. That's a good way to end, isn't it? But listen, I think there's, two, there's, there's three, three responses, I think. There could be two particular ways that you're, you're facing 2023 today. As we enter 2023, you could be thinking, do you know what? I'm reflecting on last year. I want this year to be better. I'm going with, I, I know there's great things. God has great things this year. I'm going for it this year. You might be entering 2023 with optimism uh, and uh, looking forward to it. It's wonderful. But God wants you to know that he's called you to relationship. He's called you to prayerful friendship with him. He's called you to a lifestyle. He's called you to see his glory and his goodness and to know it. He's called you to relationship and to friendship. And as you go into 2023, he wants you to prioritize friendship with him, relationship with him. What might that mean for you? 
I think as a church, that means pursuing him. Come to the prayer meeting. I think that means as a church together, pursuing him in prayer. Who knows what this year holds for us as a church. I'm sure there's many things. But he wants us to pursue it all in prayer and in relationship with him. As we go with him. As we love and adore him. Maybe you might be reflect going into 23 like, 2023 like this. You're, you're reflecting on last year and you're thinking, do you know what, I've got some big trials this year. I feel like I've been punched in the face. I feel like, I'm, I feel like there's some big things I've got to face. Listen, know this. He's with you. He's for you. You can be honest with him. Jesus was honest in the garden. It's not a sin to be honest with God in prayer. He's with you and he will strengthen you. It says in one of the um, other passages that an angel came and strengthened Jesus. Listen, God wants to come and strengthen you today. He wants to come by the Holy Spirit and strengthen you and I today, especially if you're facing trials, difficulties, unexpected situations. He wants to strengthen you. And thirdly, I think if you're not a Christian here this morning, he wants you to come into this relationship with him. You were made for this relationship with him. He drank the cup for you. He went to the cross for you. He wants you to come into friendship with him. You can do that this morning. You can come and say, Lord Lord Jesus, I want to accept that sacrifice was for me. And I want to enter into a relationship with you. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Come into my life. Thank you for all you've done for me. So I want us to do, rather than worship, finish with a song, I want us to pray and respond. And what I'd like us to do is, I'd like us to be brave. <laughs> and if you think one of those three things is me, it might be, do you know what, I, I, know, I know God's calling me into things in 2023, but I know I need to pursue it in relationship with God. I want to develop and pursue relationship with God this year. With him. All the things that he's called me to do, I want to do with him. In one sense, that's all of us, isn't it? But if you feel particularly that's for you, I want you to stand in a minute. If you know you're facing difficulties, facing trials, facing tough things, listen, as Elham read out, the light shines in the darkness. Jesus shines in your dark place. He wants to come and strengthen you by the Spirit this morning. And thirdly, if you're not a Christian, and you want to respond to him this morning, I want you to respond too. And all I want you to do is to stand, okay? If one of those three things, you think, do you know what? That, that, that says something to me. God's speaking to me about that. Would you just stand? And we're going to pray. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more. I'm not going to get people to come around you. We might raise our hands to you. But if that's you... I want to pursue God in relationship with him in 2023. I want to know his strengthening in this difficult trial. Or I want to become a Christian for the first time. Just stand. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you you drank the cup. Thank you you went to the cross. Thank you for the joy set before you. You did that. Thank you. 
Thank you. We can now know our Father in heaven because of all you've done. And we want to ask that you would strengthen us now. Spirit of God, come right now. Come as you've been with us this morning. Spirit of God, come and fill us and touch us. Help us to walk with you this year in relationship, friendship, pursuing you because you pursued us, because you are glorious, because you have the best things for us. And Lord, I pray for my friends who are in difficult situations right now, facing things that might seem even overwhelming. God, come to them in their trials. Spirit of God, come and strengthen them. May they even leave this morning with a, a renewed strength in you. Maybe not that the situation has changed, but that they've seen you and that you are working all things for good and that you are with them and will sustain them. The God of the universe, you will sustain them through these trials. So thank you. Thank you for your goodness. I pray for anyone here who is reaching out to you for the first time. Lord, thank you that you reach out to them even more. And would they come into your kingdom and come to know you. And Lord, help them as they grow in this friendship, in this new life with you. Thank you. Amen.